This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com. Find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and you can also subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. In addition to that, if you want to help support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer, or you can simply leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us out a ton. Uh, I was thinking about doing like a promotional thing or something for iTunes reviews, but I didn't have anything keyed up. So next week, I think we might have like some kind of contest for iTunes reviews. So... If you haven't posted a uh, review on iTunes yet, do it and you'll be eligible for whatever we have going. That's the worst promotional thing. <laughs> the worst and most empty promotional thing I've ever done on here. It's more like a bribe. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so Tiny, how's it going? Uh, fantastical. How are nice. you, sir? Well, I am doing quite well. I uh, went down to uh evansville to visit Mike for his, he and his wife's baby shower. Mm-hmm. And like I took a different route down there. Like yeah. I took I sixty nine for the first time down there. Oh, nice! Yeah, it was. I mean, it was life changing. That was it. That entire day was life changing. That's incredible. Yeah. So, how was your weekend? How was your Saturday? <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, got engaged. Nice. Yes, to my longtime girlfriend, Paige. Yes, very nice. Yes. Congratulations again. I I reacted like I didn't already know. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so that was good. We went to qualifications on Sunday. Oh, nice! Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That was fun. That's fun. Yeah, yep. there's, there's that whole race stuff going on. Um, <laughs> it's the 100th I, running, Matt. Uh, sure. <laughs> so news for this. No, um, anyway, so anyway, congratulations. Thank you. And uh, and so this week on the podcast, we're going to be discussing abandoned TV shows. Yep. And so basically the idea is that these are shows that we started watching and then never completed for a variety of reasons. We're going to go into that in a moment, uh, and then after that, we'll do our potpourri section, as we regularly do. But first, before we get to news, actually, I want to just mention that Mike isn't here this week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he uh, he got sick, and he has uh, school and work stuff going on, but I think he's going to make it back next week, and he might be back on the podcast uh, with some regularity until his until he becomes a father, at least. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have, like, a solid month. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, that's all the kind of housekeeping stuff we got to go on, uh, go through. But uh, do you want to go ahead and go to our news segment? News it up. Nice. Okay, so I've got a few news items to to bring up here. Uh, first of which is that Dunkirk, the uh, the new film from Christopher Nolan, has started principal photography, and uh, a brief synopsis of the movie has come out. And I'm just going to read this briefly from slash film christopher nolan has officially begun production on his world war ii drama dunkirk all location in the titular historical town in france warner brothers just announced the commencement of principal principal photography on the film that includes an impressive cast uh including tom hardy mark rylance killian murphy jack uh, james darcy uh and former one direction member harry styles making his acting debut random yeah um in, in addition to that a brief synopsis was uh 
announced or, or released in the press release, and I'll just read that really quickly. Uh, Dunkirk opens as hundreds of thousands of British and Allied troops are surrounded by enemy forces. Trapped on the beach with their backs to the sea, they face an impossible situation as the enemy closes in. <laughs> uh, so, Tiny, what do you think of Chris Nolan's next movie? And I know that you're a big historical guy. Yeah, so. I mean, obviously I'm... Uh, I'm crazy excited for this because mm-hmm. I, I think uh if if fans will remember uh the film atonement from 2005 2006 oh, yeah i think it was there, like 2008 was it 2008 okay i think um, uh, i'm not sure it could be but mm-hmm. there are remarkable scenes in that movie of the town of dunkirk uh in during world war ii and the attempt to evacuate uh, British and Allied soldiers from from that city, and those are some of my favorite scenes in that movie. I absolutely adore that movie, um, and so to see those, I don't know, fifteen maybe twenty minutes of screen time turned into an entire movie, uh, especially directed by Christopher Nolan with this cast, cannot wait. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Nice, and it came out in two thousand seven. Okay, so uh, yeah, and. I mean, I've lambasted uh, Interstellar quite a lot on this podcast, and I do need to go back and revisit it, but I don't know if my uh, thoughts on it will change. But, I mean, you know, Christopher Nolan, before Interstellar, before Interstellar was, like, my favorite filmmaker, and I'm still really excited for this movie, uh, despite being slightly disenfranchised with him from Interstellar, which I understand that that's kind of a silly thing to mark against him like i don't mean to just completely be negative on his entire (laughs) career going forward but i will say that interstellar the problems i had with interstellar highlighted some of the issues that are in his scripting at least in inception but i still adore inception so anyway that's my roundabout way of saying that i'm excited for this i'm excited that he may be uh striking out into a new era of filmmaking hopefully for him because this is a straight-up historical drama action movie from the sound of it. And hopefully it's, uh, I don't know, it, it could be his Saving Private Ryan. Absolutely. I hope it is. Yeah. Me too. I uh, have the highest of hopes for Mr. Nolan. Um, and <laughs> I did not really mean to deliver that so flatly. I was exiting something off of the laptop. <laughs> he lets me call him Chris. Yeah, well, he'll earn that for me. Um, <laughs> that was more of a dig for, for Fekus' benefit, for him <laughs> listening. Anyway, um, so yeah, so that's exciting. I think that that, that uh, comes out, what, next year? Um, Something like that, yeah. I did not prepare this that uh, that well. But anyway, yeah, so we'll look forward to having that. Also in the article, there were some set photos, but I don't think that they were actual... Um, like actual studio released set photos. I think it was just yeah. a photographer that tweeted them. Uh-huh. Uh, what did you make of those? Again, great. I mean, it looks mm-hmm. like they're really, they're really going after it. They're, they're not cutting any corners. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought that they looked spectacular mm-hmm. and it's really, I mean, Nolan, when he takes on a project, like he is completely crazy about it like like he really goes all out and i think the set design looks really good and he's dedicated to like practical effects and stuff like that Mm -hmm. which uh, that's so important in a period piece no absolutely and i wonder how much of it's going to be filmed on imax yeah that's a good question i haven't i haven't been researching that much about the movie just because i and maybe this is indicative of the entire news segment that we've been doing on this podcast but i'm not 
I don't know. I don't. I'm not one to really read into uh, production and pre-production stuff beforehand because I kind of want to go in a little clean. Right. Me too. Um, so yeah. Anyway, um, the next piece of news that we have is a new Halloween movie is going to be set up at Blumhouse Productions, and John Carpenter is going to be executive producing it mm-hmm. and i'll just read this again from slash film um after years of dimension films trying to figure out what to do with the halloween franchise the company lost the rights to the iconic horror series that started with john carpenter's classic film out of nowhere a surprise announcement came from blumhouse productions revealing that they are teaming with miramax to co-finance a new halloween sequel before you get all bent out of the shape about the franchise not knowing when to die director john carpenter will be on board as the film as executive producer and I think that they're shooting for a um, 2017 release date. So okay. And okay, so I've I've weirdly enough been listening to a lot of or a few of our um, past episodes of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it was the Nickelodeon in the 90s episode or one of the one of the TV focused episodes, either Nostalgia TV or Nickelodeon in the 90s. Mike brought up the news of Halloween three being in production. Mm -hmm. And that made me realize that we've gone through two, three years of us talking about the potential of a new Halloween movie. Yeah. In this is, I think the third iteration of that news, that news article. Um, the most recent one was, I think last year there was Halloween returns that was supposed to be all set up and everything. Mm -hmm. So when I read this headline and when I read this article, I was like, Eh, I'm taking it with a grain of salt because right. we've been talking about this crap for like three years. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the fact that Carpenter is involved and that Blumhouse is producing it is makes me a little eager. And that, like, how familiar are you, are you with Blumhouse, Tiny? Not just as a production at all. company. I'm, okay, I'm not familiar with them. So they they are responsible for a lot of low budget lower budget horror movies that just are huge hits. Um, they, they, the one that jumps to mind immediately is that they, um, produced, uh, uh, the visit. I'm not Shyamalan's movie, okay. which their whole philosophy. It's, it's Jason Blum. He's like his kind of philosophy. The way I understand it, is he just gives, he gives filmmakers 5 million bucks, has them make a movie have them uh, gives them complete control and then they release it at an optimal time it makes back that five million dollars like nothing and it's highly profitable right so um i don't know if that's what they're going to do with halloween but it's just from a from a business standpoint blumhouse knows what they're doing it sounds like their heart's in the right place yeah yeah nice then again i think that they were also I'm going to look that up, but I want to say that they were responsible for the Poltergeist remake. Oh. Um, I'm going to look that up. But what do you want to see out of a new installment of Halloween, or do you want to see just a complete remake? I don't know if they've actually announced... Obviously, they haven't announced like the plans or anything for it. I don't think a remake is the right direction to go, because we've had... They already remade it. You know, I mean, that's what um, Rob Zombie did with his two films. Um and I, I appreciate the first one at least quite a bit, Rob Zombie's first one. Um, and, and I'm glad that they're acknowledging that. They're not trying to push those two films away like they don't exist because um, they're referring to this as the 10th entrance in the franchise. Right. Um, but I, I, I honestly, I don't know. Well, what I wanted to see out of a Halloween 
uh, sequel is John Carpenter, and they have him. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and later on, the, the specific article that we're referencing is uh, from SlashFilm.com, and uh, it's it's uh, written by Ethan Anderton, and he says, you know, there's no filmmaker announced yet for it, but how great would it be if they got David Robert Mitchell from... Oh yeah, it follows, it follows film. It follows fame and stuff like that. Um, I would be all over this. I, I I might be more excited about this than Dunkirk. Oh uh, wow! If if they wow. get David Robert Mitchell, because I loved It Follows. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be immensely exciting. So if they get that, I will be there opening weekend. Nice. Um, yeah, I think it's good news. Oh, totally. Um, and also, I think I was mistaken. I think I was mistaking the Insidious franchise. Oh. Um, that Blumhouse Productions did. But I think that there there were rumors. There was an update to the article or several articles that Mike Flanagan is in the uh, is being is being sought after to direct it. Okay. Who he is the person responsible for uh, Oculus and Hush, which we just talked about last week. Okay. Or yeah. At least you and Mike did. Um, I yeah I appreciated his his directing capabilities. So nice. I'd, I'd be fine with that too. Sweet. Yeah, we'll be. I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens. Um going forward i i don't know horror franchises in general i just had a conversation with a friend the other day about um nightmare on elm street and how and i say this all the time that i love it i love it as a concept Mm -hmm. but the entries in it just don't do anything for me and i feel like like halloween i did that whole big uh, like a year and a half ago a whole big review on the website of the blu-ray collection which i have proudly on display Mm -hmm. it made me realize that you know of all of the movies, maybe three of them are ones I really, really like. Yeah. And it's like, I don't even remember how many movies there are. Eight? Nine? Um, nine. So it'd be the tenth one would be coming out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It, I think that, like you said, I think that they're on the right track if they have Carpenter involved and Blumhouse producing it is probably a good, um, a good omen for it. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, finally, we have a piece of news that came out about Netflix that back in 2012, they had set a, they'd inked a deal with Disney that, that, uh, would give them the streaming rights to all of Disney's stuff, um, movies in 2016. So when they announced the new batch of movies that are coming out in June, they also announced that in 2016, in September, all of Disney stuff is going to be put on Netflix. That includes um, Disney, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Pixar, all of that. However, the streaming rights, the exclusive streaming rights for The Force Awakens belong to stars, so that's not going to be included in it. Mm-hmm. But still, this is this is pretty huge. Um yeah. It really is pretty big. I I would expect a company like Disney, which is just I mean, I think they're bigger than Warner. They're war, they're bigger than Warner Brothers at this mm-hmm. point, I think. Uh, cuz they own ESPN. Oh yeah. Kind, I mean, Disney's just unstoppable. Um I I would expect them to put out their own streaming service I, with know, all their own content. And yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised if they did that in in the coming years and they maybe they kind of regret this contract with Netflix, but as a Netflix subscriber, it makes me really happy. Me too, and that's an interesting point because they inked it in 2012. And right. I mean, I think I feel like maybe they. Well, I don't know. That's just conjecture, but maybe they didn't really see the way that uh, media was evolving back then. Then again, mm-hmm. that was only four years ago. So right. 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure about the motivations behind everything, but mm-hmm. like I said, I would I would have expected them to come out with their own streaming service. Yeah, I mean they could get that app put on every kind of platform possible because oh, yeah. it's Disney. Right, I mean, Disney's just like untouchable. Um, and so yeah, I mean I, I'm really excited for this because it, it includes Marvel and Lucasfilm and Pixar mm-hmm. and I mean the classic Disney movies. Uh, you know the animated day or you know back in like the 90s and the 80s and stuff like that man mm-hmm. those movies are fantastic and they hold up really well oh yeah haven't seen a lot of them in a while uh and we, you know, we don't know if we're even going to get those but right um i don't know i, I just think it's i think it's, kinda, it's a yeah, fun yeah. idea yep uh yeah i was gonna say something but I, f- I forgot okay um so anyway uh yeah so that's interesting we'll see what happens in september maybe we can do like a an episode about disney or something in september or something yeah. like I don't know. Okay. Some kind of thing for that, so. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so that's all the news we have. Um, we're gonna go ahead and move into our main topic, which is abandoned TV shows. So basically, committing to watching an, an entire series of television is pretty daunting. Um, especially in the age of binge watching and stuff like that, or it's slightly less daunting, but you still commit, um, an, an enormous amount of time to something and it's probably better now that you have all of the bingeable watching or binge watching is so prevalent because you have the entire series at your fingertips if it's something they're going through a backlog or whatever so you have a better sense of when you might want to cut the cord or cut cut it off there and whereas back in the day when you would follow it or currently when you would follow it as it aired you know you're devoting a years of your life to being a fan of this property. So the amount of television that is kind of at a premium now that's, that's really successful and well done. I mean, there's a lot out there, but, uh, you're going to come across shows that aren't going to really satisfy you and you're going to want to abandon them. And so the topic for this week is that we're talking about shows that we've abandoned. And I kind of want to just preface this discussion with, uh, Tiny, I want to kind of get your thoughts on hate watching. Uh, the idea of watching something that you, that you don't enjoy, that you, that you don't really get that much enjoyment out of from an artistic level, but you watch it because, I don't know, you just, you, you can't turn away. Have you ever hate watched a show or, or stuck it out for a show that wasn't worthy of your time? I have I, not an entire show, but episodes, absolutely, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's kind of almost turned into a whole subgenre with terrible movies like like The Room. Yeah, people go watch that because it's so bad that it's entertaining as hell. Still one of my favorite theater experiences. <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah, uh, and that translates to television as well. I've watched some episodes of like Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Oh God! Just to be in awe of it, like not because I enjoyed it, but because. It's laughable, it's sad, it's ridiculous. There's an entertainment factor to it, and so I can understand why people might do that. Mm-hmm. I've done it myself. Yeah, I I feel like I did that a little bit with Scream, uh, the TV show, but still, like, it, it reached a point where it's like I'm missing out on good TV by watching something that I know is not really for me or something that isn't really um, enjoyable for me. And I just, I don't know, the the trend of hate watching just kind of, I don't know if it really bugs me yet, but it's it's getting to the point where it's like, just watch something else. If you're hate watching something, then then I pity you, really. <laughs> but, um, 
so anyway, so um, surprise, surprisingly, or not so surprisingly, there's a ton of TV shows that I have abandoned over my years as a television viewer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't include any of these on my list, but I just want to mention, because we've talked about them kind of ad nauseum throughout <laughs> uh, the course of the podcast, but um, American Horror Story, I gave up on that after season one because I just... I. It's it's to the point that I I disliked the first season so much, and it was in such contrast to the cultural um, reception to it that it made me really confused about why people were enjoying it so much. <laughs> and it's gotten to the point where now Ryan Murphy has a show uh, or had a show recently that concluded that was the uh, People versus O.J. Simpson American Crime Story series, and it's like it's kind of a cultural phenomenon or it's a big. It was a big uh, talking point throughout like social media, and I just I just wanted to stay away from it because because of Ryan Murphy because he did American Horror Story and I didn't like it. So yeah, anyway, and then of course we've talked about Sons of Anarchy. I actually almost put it on the list um, mm-hmm. of shows, but I I just don't have the energy. I don't care anymore. It's <laughs> I don't like that show. Yeah, uh, Big Bang Theory, of course, is is another big one. Um, another Big Bang one. I knew you were gonna uh, say that. I, I'm so sorry. Um, and then finally, Scream is a show that I'm not going to watch season two. And I basically, I started reviewing the episodes on Obsessive Viewer. And then it reached a point where it was like, I had to force myself to watch like the last like three episodes. And then I think I actually wrote reviews for two of those last three episodes. I just never posted them because I just, I lost interest completely. <laughs> and it was just, it was just really not good yeah plus i wasn't really in the demographic for it so mm-hmm. so anyway uh tiny i have several um examples so i can i can do one and then you i'll, I'll start us off and then if you want to jump sure. in after. okay so uh first up first up on my list of tv shows is uh one that I referenced watching in the very first episode of the Obsessive Viewer podcast. Um, wow. <laughs> it is uh, Dawson's Creek. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and Dawson's Creek is interesting to me because I watched it when I was a teenager in high school um, solely because Kevin Williamson was behind it and I was a huge fan of Scream and I was a nerd and just looked up everyone involved with with Scream. So I I watched a good chunk of it in high school. I don't remember when I stopped watching it in high school, but uh at the inception of this podcast I was watching it on I think it was on Netflix at the time and right now it's on Hulu. Yeah, the show ran for 6 seasons and 128 episodes between 1998 and 2003. So when I started watching it the most recent time I got 36 episodes into it before cutting bait and jumping off. Um, Yeah, so I made it basically two seasons into the show, and then I stopped after the first episode of season three. And the reason why was because the first episode of season three was actually the first episode without Kevin Williamson at the helm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I didn't know it either. I did not. I knew that he left at some point, but I didn't know that it was at the beginning of season three. And when watching the show, I, I was like, huh. Yeah, okay. Kevin or Kevin Williamson isn't involved with this anymore. <laughs> I could tell because it took such a the dialogue took such a such a steep dive that I I mean, it was just it was almost like watching not necessarily like watching a different show, but watching the same show but with dumber characters. <laughs> right. Um 
and it was just it was it was off putting and, and really weird. And we kind of have these questions for these um, for these points or these examples we're going to bring up. So we're basically going to ask ourselves what made us stop watching, how many episodes we watched and uh, what could the what could the show have done to keep you invested or bring you back to it. And my answer for Dawson's Creek would. I don't know. It would probably be have Kevin Smith back Um, or Kevin. I keep saying Kevin Smith. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Kevin Williamson back. Um, but I don't know, cause season, season three started off just at a, uh, I'll, I'll explain for the listeners that season three starts off with Dawson having this, encountering this, um, kind of femme fatale type of, like, crazy girl who coerces him into doing all of these crazy things. Like, I think he steals a boat or something. Hmm. And it's all with the, the promise of potentially having sex with her. And it's, it was a weird, weird episode. And it just felt just kind of not like it didn't really fit. And I actually think it's Michael Pitt's first episode in the show, too. Uh, but I don't know, just something about it. it, it I think that the sign that the signature dialogue of Kevin Williamson is really what stood out as missing because the characters there's a way that he writes his dialogue or wrote his dialogue back back then at least that they seem so intelligent <laughs> and and they they express themselves so clearly and uniquely that with that missing from the show, it just kind of became kind of a rote, uh, teenage soap opera. Yeah. Whereas before it was a pretty, uh, unique teenage soap. It was still a soap opera, but right. it was, it was at least interesting. I think the kids are, I mean, I've only seen a few episodes of that show, but I think they were too smart. Yeah. <laughs> they were too intelligent because teenagers are dumb. Yeah, that's true. So that's true. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really can't speak to Dawson's Creek. I haven't seen enough of it. Yeah, well, I don't want to wait for you to watch it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, oh, that's awful. Uh, I should have said I don't want to wait for the podcast to be over for you to watch it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's Dawson's Creek. That was, that was really brief, but, I mean, I don't know. Kevin Williamson did come back, and he did write the finale, the series finale, which I did actually tune into when it aired. And that in in and of itself is interesting because he basically was brought back into a show. I think it was just this finale. I don't think it was the final season, but he was brought back to a show that he started that he had no connection to for, what, three, four seasons? Yeah. And uh, he was writing for characters that have changed and evolved and everything. And I don't know. It, it's kind of interesting. I remember the finale being okay, though. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's Dawson's Creek. I abandoned it after 36 episodes and, uh, I don't really, don't really miss it that much. It's on Hulu <laughs> and I might, eh, I don't want to commit to that. Don't. No. Um, <laughs> uh, but listen to the first episode of the podcast because I have a theory about Dawson Leary being a, uh, psycho killer, which is, oh uh, yeah, you've explained that to me before. Yeah. It's actually pretty clever. <laughs> Not to say that you don't often come up with clever things. I'm just saying. No, I, it's it's fine. Kevin Williamson doesn't write for me. I'm stupid. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, god. that's not what I meant. <laughs> so yeah, well, so what's your first one, Tiny? Uh, my first entry is Prison Break, uh, oh, which started in 2005. 
Mm. Um, ran for four seasons, 81 episodes, and a movie. And it's also being remade now? Yeah, I actually should have put that in the news things. Both yeah. Prison Break and 24 are bring, being brought back. God, Fox is just shameless. It, 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 it They are. And it, just a brief tangent, they've released trailers for both of them, and I thought it was really interesting that the trailer for 24, it's 24 Legacy, and it has Corey Hawkins as like yeah. the, the main character, the Jack Bauer of the show. And it, it actually had me pretty excited. Really? And it, it looked pretty interesting. And then it's funny because that, it's like, it's like you, you see the brand of 24 in the way it's shot and the way it's presented. Mm-hmm. But you see that it's, it's different because Jack Bauer is nowhere to be seen. There's like, there's references to CTU and everything. So it's, it's familiar, but it's new. Mm-hmm. Then you watch the trailer for Prison Break and it's just like, Hey, remember these characters? Remember <laughs> how they had to break out of prison? Let's have them do that again. Oh my God. It's, yeah, it just, I don't know. Oh, it could God. be interesting, but. Oof, I think they actually just uh, announced that they're pushing it back to air later in the year or some or later next year or something like that. Ugh, but push, anyway, push it into a grave. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, yeah, I, I you watched it. it. I, I watched it for like three seasons. I want to say honestly, I don't remember. It was like when I stopped watching it, it was probably seven years ago, mm-hmm. maybe eight. Um, I watched. I think I watched like through the end of the third season. Maybe I tried to watch some of the fourth, but I don't think I even watched some of the fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what made me stop watching is that basically the the concept is just unsustainable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just prison break. That's a very finite action. Um, <laughs> you know, it's I don't know. It, it's just it's not. A, it just wasn't the best premise for a show. Having said that, the first season I think is actually good. Nice. Not just okay or passable. Like, I think that first season is a good season of television. Mm-hmm. I looked forward to the episodes every week. It was always compelling, uh, despite the some of the shoddy writing and uh, the fact that the characters were not exactly deep or dynamic in any way. <laughs> um, it, it just had a great plot. They just moved it along really well, and it, the progression of it was really enjoyable. But then they broke out of prison, <laughs> and they were on the run for a long time, and it's it was just them running, and then d- devolved into this whole conspiracy plot. Uh, it just it just really just really flew off the rails in the second season, um, and I, I stuck with it out of out of you know curiosity, I think. But uh, it they they just had to. They had to do so many crazy off the wall things with their characters and with the plot in order to sustain this unsustainable concept for a show. Um, most notably, one of the the main prison guard, who was one of the main characters, like <laughs> after they escape, how do you keep that guy included in the show? Right. And, like he basically they basically turned him into a criminal, and he's on the run with all the other characters now. Yeah. It's just like all the characters were just very. Ugh. Most of them weren't likable, and they didn't have chemistry hardly at all. Um, and and they were just really shoddily written, I guess. Um, there's some some romance that just makes no sense. Uh, the, the Sarah Wayne Callies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's brotherhood. There's there's two brothers. It's kind of the premise of the show. One brother gets arrested and goes into prison to break his other brother out. Uh, they didn't seem very close to me. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's There's just so many problems with the show that 
it's amazing I stuck around for three seasons. I'll put it that way. They seemed... I, I didn't really have a problem with the uh, um, Michael and Link's uh, uh, chem- chemistry or, or relationship okay. in the show. But they did seem like just like complete, like diametrically opposites. Yeah. And they were like incredibly opposite. Right. And it it didn't seem like they came from the same yeah. thing. Oh, actually, yes. No, I'm not going to spoil that, but um, <laughs> it, they kind of dive into them, their history in the fourth season. But the fourth season was just, uh, I don't know. I kind of see what I kind of want to do when 24 Legacy and Prison Break come back. I kind of want to rewatch Prison Break. Yeah. In total, because I have memories of like seeing like I was a I was a huge fan of that show. Yeah. And. Even in the worst of times, it was still kind of fun to watch. I think that the, uh, I thought at the time that the season two finale was really well constructed and they actually did a really good job of, uh, ending on such a somewhat terrifying cliffhanger for one of the central characters or several of the characters in season two after having what I thought was a very strong season, in my opinion, because I thought them on the run was really interesting considering that it was basically the um, uh, antithesis of the concept of the show and of the first season being so constrained and so claustrophobic, which I thought was really incredible mm-hmm. and really unique uh, storytelling in the first season. But I like the way that it was opened up and how they were all kind of going after the same objective in addition to outrunning a manhunt, basically, mm-hmm. of course you lose a lot of the, uh, a lot of what was already pretty strained credibility in the story with, with that. Like there was, I remember, I was actually thinking about this the other day because, uh, I remember that, uh, the, the one kid, the, like, um, I can't, I don't remember his name, but the kind of, uh, the wannabe thug guy the white guy yeah yeah he like he break like he's one of the ones that breaks out and he he meets some girl at a on a campus or something and he's like hey i'm trying to get a ride to new mexico or whatever because he sees a flyer on on one of the bulletin boards saying like yeah we need i'm driving to wherever and i need gas money and all that so he's like hey can i come with you and then she's like oh yeah where's all your stuff and he's like i mailed it i mailed it ahead of time i'm like that is such a stupid lie like or, uh, yeah but i did think that um the first two seasons i thought were really solid third season was uh, hit or miss and then the fourth season just went off the rails yeah um so where exactly did you say you stopped after i think i know i i may have watched a few episodes of the season four but i don't okay. recall what could so okay so the plot couldn't really sustain itself for you and just as a concept, it can't, it's not yeah. really sustainable, like you said. What what could they have done to make it better for you or to gain back your viewership? I, I think I think you could have strung out or at least elongated the the first season into two seasons uh, with a shortened. What what has become a more normal season length? Because you know, back when this mm-hmm. when this show came out, it was kind of towards the tail end of the norm being twenty plus episodes for a season. I think a lot of shows now they just go for the twelve or thirteen, right? And I think with twelve or thirteen episodes, you could have that first storyline of the first season stretched into two. 
and then have them on the lam for a manhunt or something like that for a couple seasons or something. I think just a different format could have helped it a lot. Um, but I still think it's fairly unsustainable. I mean, five seasons max, more like four mm-hmm. to have quality television. Um, I, I'm not sure there's much they could have done. Maybe, maybe having better character construction and development <laughs> would have, would have helped. I, I don't know. I just really didn't, I didn't feel satisfied with the direction they took a lot of their characters in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basing this opinion and all this on on memory of something I watched ten years ago. Right. Um, but but as I remember it, like I I don't want to just crap on the show so much. Right. Because like I said, that first season, I think it's a good season of television. Like I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um. So I don't I don't know what they could do to get me back other than formatting different formatting and really just better writing. Yeah. I I agree totally, and I think part of the appeal of at least the first two seasons for me was how how clever they made the character of Michael Schofield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in in that in those first two seasons, because the first season he goes into prison with a plan tattooed to him, so it's a little silly, but <laughs> he has this master plan to break out, and that that is an engaging premise. And showing how clever he is is really entertaining because you want to see, you want to root for someone who will, who will be able to escape or, or do, it's like, it's like watching a magician, basically. Mm-hmm. Like you have this guy who's hyper intelligent in a scenario where he could be caught and it could ruin, like everything could be fall to pieces. Mm-hmm. So the appeal and the, the suspense is built on the fact that he's clever and he can get out of these situations and everything. Um, and then season two is an extension of that in that he has like one of the big promotional or marketing things. And one of the big pulls for season two is that they were out of prison, but he has a plan to get up get out. Like he has a plan to escape, uh, the manhunt and everything. And it's, it's really pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, then after that, it just goes off the rails and they do, they become agents for the government to, yeah. Do it's it's crazy. Right. Uh, they end up in a Panamanian 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 Panamanian. That sounds like a wrestling event or something. <laughs> um, in a in a prison in Panama, which, yeah, I remember that. That was so stupid. It it was. Yeah. It was. But the, the, there is there was like an, a a semi impressive level of intricacy to the to the show mm-hmm. that that. I have to give a lot of credit to, really. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, so, yeah, anything else on Prison Break? Mm, no. Okay. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, my next one is, this will be brief, too. Cause, okay. Okay, in my notes, I have Entourage, 2004 to 2011. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how many seasons were, were there? Eight seasons, 96 episodes, one movie. And how much did I watch? <laughs> um, uh, I watched four seasons of it. Wow. Uh, for a total of 53 episodes. And then under what made you stop? All caps with an exclamation point at the end. Everything about it. <laughs> this show, my God, I have no idea how I watched it this long. I, I, I enjoyed the, uh, I enjoyed the, the, uh, parody, the parody of, Hollywood and the glamour of it. Um, 
on on a on a surface level throughout most of most of that time i'd like seeing kind of kind of these plot lines with these unbelievably unlikable douchey characters that <laughs> like if i met them in real life i would want like if i met those characters in real life i would just want to punch them in the face so hard every one of them um unbelievably unlikable and jeremy piven's character is just like people say like oh yeah well you know i don't even remember his name uh, uh gold ari. ari ari gold like oh well you know ari gold's really entertaining no he's a prick yeah. and he's obnoxious and it's really unsatisfying television for, for me so i don't know why the hell i watched four seasons of it but <laughs> it's i mean just i i did not like it and it got to such a point where it seemed like every every episode every plot element every plot arc in the show was basically um, Vinny Chase has an opportunity. Vinny Chase is a millionaire. Vinny Chase has an opportunity to become a multimillionaire. <laughs> Vinny Chase seems to lose that opportunity. Vinny Chase does something. Vinny Chase gets the opportunity to be a multimillionaire. <laughs> so it's like at, it reached a point where, okay, he's successful. He just becomes more successful and he works with more successful people. Mm-hmm. He takes a chance to do something and, oh, okay. That doesn't work out for him, but oh, he's still a millionaire, and he's it's it, if it would have explored the kind of um I don't even know I wouldn't even really demand that it explore the um concepts of fame on, on a more visceral level and, and a more emotional um journey for the characters because that's not what the show was. The show was a yeah. a stupid comedy show that had the worst, absolute worst, most egregious. Uh, a most egregious product placement yeah. of any show of any kind ever. Very bad. Yes, just the first episode alone. They're tar- they're arguing over Bose Bose headsets. Yeah, it's just like. And then there's an episode where they're in a supermarket and they're talking about how they ought to have they got to have their fruity pebbles or something like that. <laughs> it's like, God damn it, guys. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, I didn't see the movie. I didn't see past season like four. I will never see past season four. I will never see the movie. It's just, I did not, I just a terrible experience for me. Um, yeah, it's a very, very overrated show. Um, I think at one point when you were describing it, I really liked your term. I think you said it was lifestyle porn. Oh yeah. Because that's what it is. When did I say that? I don't know. I know you said this was a long time ago. Oh yeah. I don't even think it was on the podcast. Probably not. It's, it's lifestyle porn and it's like, it's wish fulfillment. Yeah. Wish fulfillment. You know, it's, it's, you know, you want to see these people succeed even though they're fucking deplorable people. Right. I just dropped an F bomb. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Vinny Chase in the show amongst a whole tons of other things that are unrealistic. Um, he has like the ideal lifestyle. Like he, goes and acts in a movie once yeah. a year and then he just nails chicks the rest of the time mm-hmm. that's that's the show and it's like and it's it's unrealistic but it's also like they they tried to they tried to expand the show by having side stories for all the side characters <laughs> but those side characters are like you said completely unlikable douchebags mm-hmm. and Vinny chase while still being a douchebag uh, he's a little likable because he kind of has like a boy next door kind of thing going he kind of has a little bit of charm to him he's a nicer guy yeah he's more of an enjoyable person but uh all the other characters are douchey or they're whiny or they're stupid 
and it's like I, I don't care if uh, if Johnny Drama reignites his career through a stupid television show. Yeah. I don't care about uh, Turtle trying to sell tequila for some dude. <laughs> I, like I just, it was just really really a dumb show, and mm-hmm. it it was it was made for young men in their 20s mm-hmm. to fulfill fantasies. Yeah, exactly. That was the show. And, and it yeah. did that really well, mm-hmm. but it did that 60 times, however many episodes right. there are. That's what it was. And it's just uh, like... 96. Right. It's just like yeah. after a while, you realize you're watching the same thing. Yeah. And it's, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I watched the entire series. Did you really? I watched all of it. I watched it Ugh. up to the series finale. And part of me... Part of me totally bought into that concept of being a guy in my twenties and just getting getting uh, fantasy boners watching the show. That's I mean, sure. that's what it was. It was it was wish fulfillment, mm-hmm. and, and th- I think that's why I stuck on stuck with it for so long. Plus, for some reason, it had such a huge cultural impact, and people liked it and were talking about it. So I was like, well, I'll watch it just to see what happens, and. I never saw the movie. I forgot there was a movie for a little bit. <laughs> I don't think it performed that well. It came out last year, actually. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I did not bother seeing it. Apparently, from what I understand, it was just basically like a giant episode of the show. Really? Yeah. And, I mean, you know, it has its audience. I've I've crapped on the show and its audience, too, probably. But mm-hmm. it's just it's just not... It had no value to me as a viewer of television. Yeah. And you can, you can have them drive as many nice cars and bang as many attractive women in the show. But at the end of the day, the characters are just empty and soulless to me. And yeah. like, I just, I really just actively hated the character of, uh, E yeah. in the show. Cause, Oh my God, what a just deplorable character and really annoying and obnoxious and whiny, whiny. Yes. Yep. Whiny. And, uh, why, why is anyone friends with that guy? Yeah. Oh, exactly. I don't get it. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Just the worst. So if that show came out now, I w- I wouldn't. As an almost thirty year old man, I would not be into it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think it might also be part. Of, that might also be part of it. I think I saw it like kind of in my mid twenties. Yeah. And it was just not for me. Maybe if mm-hmm. I was younger at the time, I, I could have enjoyed it. And I guess that kind of answers the question of how could the show get me back? Um, put me in a time machine. If I don't you were know. a twenty year old douchebag, it'd be right up your alley. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh god! Yeah. Oh man! I can't. <laughs> I have pushed that theme song from my mind so many times. Ugh. I hate the theme song for Me this too. show. Oh my god! It's awful. <laughs> Me too. It's just. Oh, it's just terrible. The best. The best slash potentially since we're kind of crapping on it as a whole anyway. The best and probably only good thing to come out of Entourage from my perspective is. The great, great sight gag or or joke in uh, Arrested Development season four, where they talk about how they're going to go to this new nightclub called Ann Jeremy Piven, and the <laughs> the sign of the nightclub <laughs> is basically the uh, the neon sign of his of Ann Jeremy Piven from the opening credits. That's awesome of Entourage, which that's the only thing that <laughs> I delighted in. That ha- is connected to Entourage is, is that gag <laughs> in Arrested Development. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, man. Ugh, I need to give Arrested Development Season 4 another shot. Me too. Yeah. Not I that never, I abandoned it or anything. I never even finished it. Really? Yeah. Are you going to bring it up next? 
No. Oh, okay. No. Um, I, I forgot about it till now. Honestly. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I need to rewatch it. Yep. Yep. So what's your next one, Tiny? My second entry is Big Love. Um, Interesting. And it's it's worth noting, I have tried to watch this show twice. Interesting. I started from the beginning, got to like season three, and stopped for like two years. Jeez. Started it all over, got to the end of season <laughs> four, and stopped. Oh, God. And it's been like uh, probably eight months or almost a year. Between eight months and a year since I've watched an episode. Wow. How many yeah. episodes did it run? Uh, it had five seasons, 53 episodes. And the um, farthest you got was the end of episode four? I got to, No, I got to the end of season four. Season four. Uh, season four. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got to the end wow. of season four. And you stopped before, like, you had one season left, dude. I know. I know. <laughs> it's stupid. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and I think, actually, I know one of the reasons why... I stopped, and this will come up in my third entry as well, is just, like, so many changes. It's, it's a personal thing. Like, so many things have changed in my life that sitting down for an hour, and, it, like, a full hour to watch an episode, like, that's that's kind of a big commitment. And it's like, I can do that one night a week, or maybe two, but I can't do that three four nights a week and i can't right. watch like two episodes in a night i just i don't have the time or energy for that anymore and it's like so with 53 episodes you have to spread that out over like a year yeah and i just kind of get involved with other things and just kind of lose interest and so like part of it's just the runtime of an mm-hmm. hour-long drama on a cable show or on a cable network um i just i just don't have the, the, that, that kind of dedication anymore right. like i used to so that's part of it um but also, I think, I think some of it is the fact that this show has a lot of characters in it. Um, <laughs> for those who don't know, Big Love is a show about a Mormon polygamist in Utah who tries to basically be part of a normal society, but keep the secret of being a polygamist uh, behind closed doors. Really, I didn't. I didn't know yeah. that it was about him keeping a secret about it. No, yeah, it's a secret. Through, I think maybe. It becomes not a secret. Like they come out of the closet at some point, but I, I haven't gotten to that point in the show. Really? Um, yeah, it's it's very it, it's a really fascinating show, and it's a good show. Huh. Um, I think I think my primary reason for abandoning it is again my shortcomings. I don't mm. think it's I I'm not really critical of the show. Um, but uh, so obviously for that reason, he, this guy has three wives and he has children with all three wives. Uh, so there's tons of characters in this show. Right. Um, and a lot of them aren't very likable. Like they're very, mm. one of the wives is like super whiny and young. And, and one of the other ones is just absolutely batshit crazy. Um, and his kids are all varying degrees of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the the characters just aren't that likable. They're good characters and, and they're well played. Um, I think the standout of the show is uh, Chloe Sevigny. She's okay. She's yeah. like the middle wife. Um, <laughs> she's fantastic, and her character is just nuts and annoying and crazy. Gee. But she plays that that archetype magnificently. Nice. She's very good on the show. So I, I really only have good things to say about the show. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a drawback that characters aren't likable. You need to have bad characters or. Um, villainous characters if you will um antagonistic so you need to have that but i think if there were more characters i liked on it i might be more inclined to stick with it um so that's kind of a small drawback of it um 
and the show could get me the show could get me back i don't think the show needs to really change like i said it's just me i think I need to focus more on it um it is a very good show it, it really gave a resurgence to bill paxton's career mm-hmm. which is a fantastic thing cuz i don't know why he ever fell out of the limelight i think he's a great actor oh he's fantastic he's really versatile can play a lot of different things so it's good to have him back as a result of the show mm-hmm. um yeah, I, I really don't have bad things to say about it. It's a good show. Do you think you'll Do you think you'll ever go I, back and? I think so. What I did the second time is like I I started from the beginning and watched it all mm-hmm. again. I think if I go back to it, I'm just going to start from the premiere of season five to get yeah. it all done. Because um, I obviously that's not I, a bad idea. I have it committed to memory pretty right. well now, having seen every episode twice. Plus, you can go back and you can just go on Wikipedia and just read summaries. True. Yeah, yeah. that that might be something I do. Yeah. Um, it is a good show. I I, I recommend it. Nice. Yeah. I might, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Well, um, and he, the main character was, he was in like a Mormon compound as a kid mm-hmm. where it was like hardcore polygamy, cultish stuff. But he, he left that when he was like a teenager and he started, ended up starting his own business and became very successful, but he still is a practicing member of polygamy. Okay. And hmm. it's, it's very interesting to see him and his family try to assimilate to society and, and, yeah. and kind of keep this secret they have. It's Interesting. it's a good show. Nice. Yeah. I'll have to I'll have to figure it out and watch it at some point. Nice. Um What do you got next? Okay, well up next for me is another show that was mentioned in the uh early days of the podcast. Actually, you know, I'm gonna kinda double up on these because um, I think you only have one more? Yes, I do. Okay. So I'm going to double up on these. So the first one I have is one that was mentioned in the first, second, third episode of the podcast. Okay. Um, <laughs> Under the Dome. Oh, yeah. Which, if you go back and listen to those episodes, um, I was really excited for this show. <laughs> so was I. Yeah, and uh, it did not deliver. It lasted three seasons for 39 to- episodes total. I got uh, one season in... <laughs> And I wrote reviews for every episode of the season mm-hmm. on obsessiveviewer.com. And then I watched one episode of season two and was just like, and it's funny because I, I kind of enjoyed the first episode of season two. It had a cameo from Stephen King. It had a, a main, a major character getting their head chopped off nice. from a mysterious killer that, uh, would, would probably, I imagine be a, um, uh, a mystery that ran through the whole season. It introduced some more metaphysical kind of properties of the dome itself. But, uh, <laughs> I just, I could not, I lost interest so quickly, so quickly with the show. The first season I thought was a little bit better than what people gave. Uh, uh, I, I don't think people gave it quite as much credit as it deserved. However, it wasn't it wasn't the next lost it wasn't it wasn't uh, a really strong season of television um viewing it objectively like that so yeah it i don't know I, I, and part of that was also my disappointment in in that it wasn't i had just read under the dome the novel which is one of my favorite stephen king books now and it's so rich with with so many characters and basically what i love about it is that it's it it encompasses 
what Stephen King does best. It has this – he basically by having a dome cover a city and cut it off from civilization, he does what he does best and he creates this this play of macabre behavior that plays across an entire town's worth of characters. And it's so rich and so thrilling. It has some of the – there's one point in particular that is like the most – horrific description of um uh violence that i've read from there that i've read from stephen king with an asterisk next to it because i you know that's that's kind of uh, hyperbolic but the show didn't deliver it didn't transfer those character traits to it it made the most in interesting and villainous character uh big jim rennie played played by the perfectly cast Dean Norris into kind of a cartoonish villain. And then it took one of the more interesting, um, other villainous characters, junior Rennie and just made him a whiny brat. Yeah. That was just so, ugh, just, just really unwatchable. He wasn't intimidating at all. Not even remotely. And yeah. the way that he's introduced in the book is like, he kills a woman and then, Stephen King says, like, oh, he has a headache because he has a tumor that he doesn't know about. And it's like, right. that setup is really fascinating. And they squandered it completely. They squ- Like, they squandered much of everything else. Mm-hmm. And the, the romantic subplot between Barbie and, um, I don't remember the, the main woman's name, but that was super forced in the show. Really, really out of nowhere and really unsatisfying. Yeah. So, I guess what the show could have kind of won me back if they, you know, I don't know. I, it's hard, it's hard to say because a it's, it's impossible to go into, especially Stephen King adaptation and expect it to follow the book as it is. And for what it's worth, they did do some things with the, with the adaptation that suited my liking of it. And they, they tried to, for better or worse, they tried to make it a mysterious show like lost and they failed and you know it's a respectable um thing that they attempted but i kind of think that part of it part of the reason why i uh part of what could have made me keep watching it is that if i if it was airing now and what i mean by that is that they had an exclusive deal with amazon prime that like their the new episodes would be posted on amazon prime like a day or two later and at the time, I think I had like a DVR and I just, it just piled up and some of the episodes didn't record and I couldn't really, there was that, there was that, um, that pressure on me to watch it as it filled up my DVR that I just deleted it and unsubscribed and all that. Whereas now I, I have a Chromecast, I have Amazon Prime. I have all of the stuff at my fingertips. Why couldn't I just sit there and binge watch it? Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I guess that, well, I guess it was a couple years ago. So, I mean, I guess it's not much has changed, but I don't know. If they had made it a more engaging story, I would have kept at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I abandoned the show as well. I didn't even watch uh, the premiere of season two. Really? Um, I stuck through the end of the first season because at the time I was living at home and my parents both mm. watched it too. They both read the book and everything. Right. Um, and so it was kind of something to talk about and, you know, 
it was that whole in, in, inclusive water cooler kind of phenomenon, sure. if you will. Um, and so I think that's why I stuck with it through the first season. But if that hadn't been there, I wouldn't even have stuck through the first season. Yeah. For every everything you said, and I, mm. I agree about the book too. It's it's a fantastic book. Oh yeah. I, I love. I really loved it. Um, Me too. And, and and unfortunately, I just didn't. It just didn't translate to the screen. Um, mm. I, I think part of it is I th- I feel like the show really tried to force the mystery into it. Um, whereas Stephen King establishes really rich dynamic characters and you find the mystery through the characters Mm -hmm. as opposed to just laying the plot out there. It's, it's very, it's very organic how, how Stephen King comes to his, his like, uh, his, his plots or his conflicts. Um, absolutely. And, and I think that's why he's so difficult to adapt and, Maybe that formula doesn't work as well through visual mediums, uh, but the show had many other shortcomings, and yeah, totally, yeah, I abandoned it as well. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'll go ahead and just leapfrog over you and do a really brief one for this one because I might actually pick it back up. Okay. Uh, Modern Family. It premiered in 2009 it's still running now it's so far it has seven seasons 166 episodes and i watched uh all of season one and 23 out of 24 episodes from season two wow and uh it's a it's another show that it piled up on the dvr like those those last the last four episodes of season two were on my dvr when i when i had dvr when i lived at home no, I just have all my streaming service streaming services, but it they piled up and they were on there for months. It was yeah. like I didn't start watching them until the new season was about to premiere, and I got two episodes in, and I had like one episode left, and I was like, I I'm I'm not invested in these characters anymore. I, I'm not really that into this story. Or, the, or these this family anymore and i don't know maybe that was part of just me being at that time in my life I, it just didn't really engage me the way it did but maybe now that i'm a little older i might appreciate it more but i mean it, for what it's worth those two seasons i saw or those one season 1.95 seasons that i saw were really enjoyable family sitcom comedy and i don't really have any other reason or I don't really have any other method for them or uh, ideas for how they could have gotten me back and invested in it. So I don't know. I'm checking now to see if it's all on Netflix. I want to say that it is, but I'm not entirely sure. I'm not sure either, Uh, but I'm sure that you're missing out. Really? You're missing out, man. This, I still, I still watch this uh, with my uh, fiance. Mm -hmm. It's, First time saying it on the podcast. It is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this show is hysterical. Uh, this season they had an episode um, that is one of their best episodes, and it's nice. one of the funniest episodes of TV I may maybe have ever seen. Really? That's a little hyperbolic, but mm-hmm. I we had to keep rewinding it because we were both laughing so hard. Jeez. Um, it, it was just hysterical. And, and I think the show is still just, just banging on all eight cylinders. It's the characters are developing really well. Um, it's, it's a, just a hysterical show. 
Nice. Well, it's not available on Netflix, and only season seven is available on Hulu. Son of a bee. So they can get me back into the show by putting all of their back episodes on <laughs> one of the streaming services I, I subscribe to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Tiny, what's your uh, your last one? My last one uh, is also probably my most controversial, uh, Deadwood. Interesting. Um it had three seasons, 36 episodes, uh, unfortunately canceled by HBO. Um, this show is praised and lauded all over the place. Uh, so many people like it. So many people were disappointed when it was canceled. Um, I had heard, like, everything I'd ever heard about the show was very positive. Uh, to the point where I blind bought all three seasons. <laughs> I own all wow. three seasons on DVD. Um and I watched all the way through the first probably two or three episodes of season two and stopped. Um, the show is very good. It's, it's up, you know, it's, it's a good HBO quality show, but honestly, I think it's a tad overrated. Um, to the, one of the best things I can say about it is that the characters are phenomenal. Really, really good characters. Um, Tim Oliphant's character, very, uh, he's archetypical, but at the same time, he has very unique qualities to him. Um, he, you know, he's kind of like a, uh, Wyatt Earp kind of sheriff gunslinger guy. Okay. But he wants to give it all up to start a business. <laughs> it's, it's goofy. It's, it's, it's kind of goofy, but it's very special. It's not something you get in a lot of Western type stories. And so I really appreciate that about the show. Um, but I, I just feel like the conflict of the show, the primary conflict, really doesn't have a lot of meat on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, he, Timothy Oliphant's character moves to this town and he's kind of a lawman and there's, the town is sort of run by this criminal type and Timothy Oliphant's character has to kind of balance you know, how he's going to deal with that criminal element given that he's a guy who gave up his badge. Uh, you know, does he have a a moral calling to do something about this. How far can he stay away from, you know, being a lawman and still be a businessman? That's, that's interesting, but I feel like there just isn't a whole lot of it in the show. Um, Al Swearinger, I think that's his name, Swearingen, Mm -hmm. um, the main villain and, uh, Timothy Oliphant's character. I, it's been a while since I watched. It. I can't remember everyone's name. Right. But their conflict—they hardly ever talked during that first season. Huh. And there's just not a lot of conflict there. It's there's a lot of side stories. Some of them are okay, but a lot of them are. I feel like are just very distracting. Um, and, and that's. I think that's kind of why I didn't. I wasn't inspired to continue with the show. Um. And, and maybe a small part of it is also the runtime, like I mentioned before. Right. Um, but really, I mean, when I when I abandoned the show was probably five or six years ago before I was still watching. There was no problem to watch three episodes of an hour-long show in an evening. That was right. a typical night for me, really. Right. Um, so I, I can't even really make that excuse. Um, huh. I, I really do need to give it a better shot. I have it all on DVD. It wouldn't be that hard. It's only 36 episodes. Mm-hmm. It's nothing crazy. Um, and you know, everything I said, I can't, I can't tear it down that much because it, like I said, it is such a well respected show and so many people that I respect consider it a very good TV show. Um, 
and so I can't I can't ignore that. And having not seen it all, I can't I can't criticize it very much. Um, it just had some characteristics that weren't that weren't that did, didn't hook me. It doesn't have that kind of uh, it doesn't have that kind of quality to it. I guess it's not that kind of show. Hmm. Um, I've never seen any episodes of it, but it's always been on my watch list. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. That's a shame that you've spent so much money on it. I know. Because um, <laughs> yeah. I know that HBO DVDs aren't cheap. Right. I, I did buy them on sales, but I still think mm-hmm. I spent like 25 bucks a pop. Oh, so. mm, that's, yeah, that's still a lot. Um, yeah, but I mean, hmm. you know, normally a, a season, at least at the time, a season of an HBO show was at least like 30 or 35 bucks, mm-hmm. $40, sometimes yeah. more. So Oof. I've wanted to watch that in Rome. To uh, yeah, me too. Famous, less than uh, two two famous famous shows that got canceled from HBO. Right, right. Uh, Short lived. And I think both of those shows, if they were greenlit and aired on HBO today, they'd be huge hits. They'd be Game mm-hmm. of Thrones, maybe not Game of Thrones level, but they'd be successful. Right, and, yeah. and they'd they'd probably get five or six seasons. Do you, would you say that? What do you think that that would be due to? Just like the how pervasive social media is and how fast word of mouth could catch because they're yeah. widely celebrated shows. Right. And I, th- I think, I think both shows found an audience after they were canceled. Yeah. Um, I, I think the way we've talked about this plenty of times, the way that most people watch television has changed so much that mm-hmm. people, people gravitate more towards cable. Now right. the biggest show in the country right now is on a cable. It's basic mm-hmm. cable. But it's on a cable network, um, and and networks they're they're struggling for the most part. They have some hits, but they're struggling. And I think mm-hmm. just how how much the public has gravitated towards cable now, I think both of these shows would have really benefited from that sentiment. Um, but they both aired early two thousands, late nineties, even maybe. Yeah, and that like was that. that was before that transition, that big exodus from network, if you will. Right. Um. So I think I think that had a lot to do with it. Good point. Good point. I'll have to. I'll have to check it out. Check those out. I really yeah. want to go through and watch a bunch of HBO original series. Me too. That I've missed over the years. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna go ahead and round out this topic, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um. So this show is a show that I've mentioned before on the podcast. I think. I think it was actually in one of those episodes I. Um, uh, um, referenced earlier, either Nostalgia TV or Nickelodeon in the 90s. But uh, it's The Americans on FX. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it, this is an interesting show. It's it's still running. It's It's been running for four seasons, 49 episodes total. Um, they haven't... Uh, I don't believe they've been renewed for season five yet, but the writers have convened to break down, a, like, to to plot out a potential season five. So I think they're okay. kind of just waiting for a uh, word on that. And I made it about halfway through season two. And it's, it's funny because now we're four seasons into the show and like, um, like podcasters that I listen to and, and TV critics that I read online, um, that I respect their opinion. They're hailing it as like the best show on television. Wow. <laughs> And it's kind of crazy. Not that I didn't think that it was worthy of that because I liked the first season and a half that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really interesting, a really interesting story that it's set in the eighties in, 
with uh, and the protagonists is a family of uh, um, Russian spies that have um, assimilated to uh, American culture and they're basically doing spy stuff. It's a married couple doing spy stuff. It's mm-hmm. Carrie Russell and um, can't remember the main the Matthew Rice. I think that I don't know someone. Um, I'm so sorry for that, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic. The, the first couple seasons, they really play into, um, both of the husband and wife characters, um, backstory in Russia. Cause they they weren't like a married Russian couple who came to the U S it's like mm-hmm. they were assigned this assignment to go to the U S become a married couple, have a family, do all that stuff and just, you know, spy. Wow. And it's just really interesting how these two characters interact with each other that they, like one of them is, feels more strongly about the relationship than the other one does. And it's, it's just a really fascinating dynamic. And I, I, it's kind of hard to explain why I stopped watching it. Um, to, to be honest at the time, um, I worked third shift and I watched a lot of episodes at work when I had downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reason that that didn't really work for me was that, I mean, I was at work my mind was occupied with other things and I didn't, I was also extremely tired. <laughs> so right. I, uh, I didn't really get the full effect of it. And it was kind of, it, that presented a complicated way for me to watch it. And, I feel like I I wasn't really watching it under the most optimum of conditions. And also I I referenced this in that in that episode that I referenced before when I brought this up on Potpourri, but it's is a show that um there was an interesting thing there was an interesting thing about the show that I I don't know, it's such an intriguing spy concept in action and drama and all that, but it also had this weird propensity to devolve into these weirdly, not weirdly choreographed. They were actually pretty well choreographed, um, hand to hand combat scenes. Like there, there were like characters would just break out this big action set piece of a big fist fight, which was, was well done, well handled and everything, but it just felt really out of place. And it was, re- uh, repeated so many times. Um, so I mean, there's not really much to show could do itself to get me back into it except to have it have more people praise it um i do feel like i will revisit the show it's i think all the i think three seasons i think it has an exclusive deal for streaming with uh amazon prime and i think the first three seasons and maybe season i don't i think season four is still airing but Mm. um but at least the first three seasons are available on amazon prime i have amazon prime so i might go back and, and get caught up and everything but it was just, it was just at a, at a difficult TV watching time in my life that I decided to pick it up, <laughs> and I just never got around to watching the rest. Yeah, um, I've never seen any of it, but I've I've heard a lot of good things about yeah, it. Yeah, it's good. It's got um, mm, uh, Noah Emmerich. Um, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, Truman's best friend and yeah, in the Truman Show. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and and he's really good in it, and the leads are really good in it. So, yeah. I don't know. Um, so before we go on to potpourri, um, I wanted to to kind of spring this on you, Tiny. Are there any shows that you wish you would have aban- have abandoned? 
Ooh, yeah. I wish I would have abandoned True Blood sooner. <laughs> I think I watched through season three. Oh my god, mm. that show was so stupid. Yeah, Star. I, I still defend that first season. I think the first season's good. Right, but every other season is nothing like the first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, ugh, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Some of the, well, another honorable mention is um, uh, Homeland. Oh, and honestly, I have for shows that you gave up on. Yeah, for shows that I abandoned. Uh, I, I almost mentioned that. Um, that is a really good show, and I I haven't necessarily abandoned it, but I just opportunities have presented themselves to where I didn't continue watching the show. Okay. I guess I had something like the first time I tried to watch through it, something got spoiled for me. Oh, and I was just sucks. like, dang it, and it just really turned me off to it, and I stopped watching mm-hmm. it. And the second time, I was watching it with Paige, mm-hmm. and she just wanted to fly through it, and I couldn't. Really? She was like watching it without me, and like uh, I have to try to go back and catch up, and I was like, ah, screw it. Geez. Someday I'm gonna watch that show. Nice. It's very good. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. As for me, shows that I wished I would have been in, and this is gonna be kind of harsh because it's a, it's a pretty beloved show. But, and I'm I'm kind of twisting around my own question here. But um, six feet under. Oh, we've ragged on it in the past, and yeah. it's. I feel like what you said about um, watching a show at a certain time in your life, like like, <laughs> Entourage, um, <laughs> and 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 other shows. I think that that applies to six feet under because i think we watched it together yeah um when we were in what our early early 20s maybe mid 20s yeah and i don't know i kind of feel like i i kind of feel like i was not at a point in my life where i was at i don't want to say a certain maturity level but i feel like i was expecting more out of it or i was expecting something a lot meatier and in terms of plot Mm -hmm. and i think that if i would have watched it when i was when my tastes were more not when I had better taste, but when my tastes were more defined, mm-hmm. um, like maybe a few years later, maybe I would have a better appreciation of it. Okay. But as it stands now, I just, I was pretty disappointed with it cause I just thought that it was kind of just, uh, obnoxious and the, the characters weren't that likable. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that. I think, yeah, maybe if, if we had came to it at a different time in our lives, we may have appreciated it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, and I, I don't wish I had abandoned that. I'm glad we watched it all the way through. Yeah. Just to complete it. Cause it is so, people do like it so much mm-hmm. and I wanted to find out why and I don't, still don't know why, but at least right. I can say I've seen it all. Yeah. I, and I wish I hadn't had the finale spoiled. Like the. Oh, really? Yeah. There's, something at the end of the final season that is is a really beautifully done uh final moments of a show. Oh, I disagree with that. I hated that. Really? I hated it so much. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I love it in concept. And okay. for the actual show that it was in, it's a fitting end. Yeah, I guess. For me, but uh-huh. in execution of it, I I had some issues with it. Okay. Um and I kind of and I also just I really just kind of wish I would have been surprised by it. Like mm-hmm. had I had I watched through all of the all of the episodes, granted at the time I didn't really care about any of the characters anyway, but right. had I seen that ending without knowing about it ahead of time, I think I would have gotten a lot more of um an emotional reaction out of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Fair enough. Yep. Um, yeah, and also screw True Blood. I ugh. oh god, that show. Yeah. So, uh, does that about do us for our main topic? I believe it does. All right. Well, we're. I was going. We were going to have a uh, a check in from Mike for Mike's Pine Tree Perfume, 
unfortunately, he I think I mentioned this at the start of the episode. He's sick and he he has stuff going on, so he has like no voice right now, so he can't right. call in for it. So uh, he'll be back next week for our episode next week probably. Um, but for potpourri. Uh, for first-time listeners, Potpourri is a section of the podcast where we talk about whatever we want as long as it smells good. Basically, anything we're watching, anything we're looking forward to, anything of that nature. And, uh, yeah, so I have two things. Tiny, you have one thing. Correct. So I'm going to go ahead and get us kicked off. Yep. Um, I watched uh, Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising. Nice. Uh, yeah, and... <laughs> Did we did we see Neighbors together? I think we did, yeah. I think theater. we did, yeah. yeah. And I remember really enjoying myself in the theater. Me too. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Laughed my ass off. Oh, yeah. And I think that the movie itself, the original movie, kind of hit a, hit a bit of diminishing returns for me in the comedy department when I went back and rewatched it. Mm-hmm. But still, I was pretty excited about Neighbors too. Um, I liked the concept of a sorority. Um movie in next door and i i thought that it was it was a pretty solid um premise for a sequel and overall i thought that it was i thought that it was okay um i was pretty entertained by it i thought that some of the comedy really landed for me however i do think that ike barinholtz was underused completely mm-hmm. the biggest issue i had with it though was that the sorority was uh not that good uh, as a plot device, as as an antagonist, as anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Chloe, Gra- Chloe Grace Moretz is the kind of leader of this sorority that she starts mm-hmm. because she learns that sororities uh, aren't allowed to have parties. And and maybe it's I actually had a conversation with Mike when I when I was visiting him about it that um, <laughs> he actually asked the question: Is is he should he is it a sexist thing to not like the characters? And I said, no, absolutely not. Cause they are really unlikable characters. Okay. Like if you go back and you look at the first neighbors, the dynamics between the brothers of the frat and you can name, you can name characters and name, uh, their, um, some character traits of them from memory with this. It's Chloe Grace Moretz and a bunch of girls that are pretty obnoxious. Hmm. They're not well defined. They're whenever they are on screen, they're they're just really obnoxious kind of uh millennial party party kids. <laughs> and it's it's really uh it just lacks an endearing quality. Okay. And for most of the movie, or at least the first half of the movie, it's kind of a retread of the first movie's plot. Gotcha. And that got kind of tiresome. But uh, for the last half of the movie, it kind of switches things up a bit. It's it's a little bit fresher, and it's it's pretty enjoyable. There's some good gags and everything, um, and it speaks to the strength of the frat characters in the first movie that Zac Efron's character in this movie has a pretty similar character arc from the first movie. <laughs> um, he's still kind of this kind of this. Um, character who's afraid of growing up or afraid of moving on and changing his way of life and everything in the face of things changing around him. And it's, I mean, I don't know. I I kind of, I kind of really dug that aspect of the, of the movie and it's, it, it was effective on me, but the whole movie as, as a whole and the whole movie and the movie as a whole was pretty enjoyable overall, but the characters of the sorority just weren't just didn't do anything for me. Gotcha. So yeah. Um, that's neighbors Two: sorority rising. 
And yeah. Tiny, what do you got for Popery? Uh I wanted to talk about the new trailer for Star Trek Beyond. Yes. Um this came out this week, was it today? I think it was a I think it was Friday or Saturday. Oh, uh, was it Friday or Saturday? A few days ago from this recording. Okay. Uh yeah, and and I, I feel like it's really noteworthy because uh Months ago, they came out with the first trailer for this, and it was <laughs> not well received. Right? <laughs> was it December? It was. It was uh, wow. with the Force Awakens. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Jeez, uh, it was not well received by almost everyone, mm-hmm. um, myself included. It it just felt like a very um, action heavy. Uh, incidentally, it looked like it looked like a Fast and Furious movie, right? Which is funny because it's directed by Justin Lin. Mm-hmm. Uh, who directed the Fast and Furious movies? Right. So that's that's not really a surprise in hindsight. But uh, but thankfully with this trailer, I think they're saving face um, because this one was much much better crafted, and it, uh, it I think it demonstrated that there's going to be some. This is going to be more of a character driven story than we realize it is yeah. or than then was hinted at in the first trailer anyways right um of course there's going to be action i think that's a very fun staple of this latest iteration of star trek mm-hmm. there's a lot of action there's there's badasses who do badass things while still being somewhat philosophical adventure-based sci-fi right. um it's definitely a shift from obviously from the original star trek but uh but it's 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 a fun take and and I've really enjoyed the action the action involved with it um but that first trailer just made it seem way too much mm-hmm. um so I'm glad to see that there will be at least some uh, redeeming developmental qualities that we can latch onto in the movie right um I know it is it is written by Simon Pegg yeah co-written by him co-written by him um and some other some other folks, and I, I appreciate what they do with their characters, yeah, uh, and and everything that, that that he's ever written. I I really appreciate his characters, um, so I I have faith in it from that respect, and and now the fact that this is a much better looking trailer, mm-hmm. I, I'm looking forward to the movie more. Uh, comes out in late July yeah. this year. So. It definitely quelled my fears quite yeah. a bit. Um, Good. Actually, it's funny because uh, frequent guest and friend of the podcast, Robert Feckus, he uh, texted me and asked me if I saw the new trailer, um, and he said that it's much more pleasing in his opinion. And nice. uh, yeah, and I I agree with that, and I agree that it looks really much more in the spirit of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, um, fellow podcaster Jeff Palermo from Sci Fi on Screen, he. Uh, He's he's not as keen on it as uh, as mm-hmm. as we are. He uh, he said that he's still not sold, but he'll be there. And he said that I said that it's an improvement over the first trailer. And he said that uh, he said agreed, but still looks like the Trek and the Furious. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, which he and again his his podcast Sci Fi on Screen is fantastic. So nice. Um, and he he knows he's a lot he's a lot better versed in, in the genre of science fiction than either of us are. Nice. Um, so anyway, the trailer to me looked really appetizing, really, really pleasing to me mm-hmm. and really made me more excited for it than I was, especially from the first trailer. So glad there were no beastie boys in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love that it was more character focused and, and showed that it it's not going to be all, 
explosions and motorcycles and stuff like that. Right. Um, so I have, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I have high hopes at this point, but my anticipation level of it has gone up, gone up just a little bit. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see. So I'm going to kind of round us out for potpourri with, with another quick thing. Um, I watched Goosebumps last night, Tiny. Really? Yeah. How was that? It was, uh, it was, you know, it was surprisingly pretty good. Have you, have, you haven't seen it, have you? No, I don't even really know anything about it. Okay. So it's, uh, Jack Black plays R.L. Stein. Wow. Yeah. And it's, uh, basically a kid moves in next door to him and his wife, or him and his daughter. Um, and the kid, it just makes friends with his daughter and then through crazy hijinks, they find secret books that are manuscripts of goosebump books. Uh, they accidentally open one. The monsters come out of the book like Jumanji style. Okay. And, uh, rest of the books get opened and they wreak havoc and destruction over the city and they have to basically get them back in the books. Wow. Yeah, and uh you know, I went in with pretty low expectations. I'm I loved loved the Goosebump books. They were a formative po- part of my uh childhood growing up. Like Me they too. were it was like that was yeah, I I loved loved them. Um so I was kind of pre kind of kind of uh, I was kind of predisposed to to enjoy this movie at least on a nostalgia level, mm-hmm. and it it was effective on that level to me. Um, and I actually kind of dug the story. I, I mean, I thought it was kind of it's kind of silly. Jack Black is f- <laughs> he's really fun in this role. He's mm-hmm. he's really enjoyable, and there are a couple of re- <laughs> there are a couple uh, there are a couple references to Stephen King that I, I got a huge kick out of. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty enjoyable, but it, it kind of reaches a point. There's, there's kind of a, uh, there's an element to the story that I didn't expect, uh, going into it. And I thought that it was handled pretty well. I won't say anything more about that for spoilers, but it's on Netflix now and it's, you know, it's not a bad time. It's not a bad hour and 42 minutes. There are some, logical incons- inconsist- uh, inconsistencies mm-hmm. and there are some kind of things that if you think too hard you'll you'll find fault in it but for as far as uh as kind of a family adventure action movie it was pretty enjoyable and the special effects were pretty solid there were some that were a little touch and go but mm-hmm. yeah uh it was pretty good and it's on netflix it's oh it is wow. yeah yeah I'm gonna have to watch it because mm-hmm. I I also was a huge Goosebumps fan. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. What was your favorite Goosebumps book? Probably Monsters Blood. Nice. Really liked Camp Jelly Jam though. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. we actually went over this. On I think we did too. TV <laughs> yeah, I think we I did. I just listened to it today. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite books was uh, Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. Probably that's a good one too. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. They're all uh, pretty good. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. God, I need to reread them. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, that's Goosebumps, and uh, yeah. So that about does it for this week's uh, podcast. And Tiny right now is picking out a thing from our bag that we've done, we haven't done in months. Um, but it's going to be a number and streaming service for me to watch for next week's episode. Which, Tiny, have we confirmed what next week's episode is? Uh, it's Apocalypse, isn't it? Yes, we're yeah. going to be reviewing X-Men Apocalypse, hopefully with uh, Mike. So... Tiny has selected something out of the bag, and I am now terrified. <laughs> uh, I am going... It is HBO Go 1 to 20. Oh, interesting. I am going to pick number 7. 
Okay, I'm going to skip that because I have the Jinx still on there. Can I pick a different number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I am going to go with number nine because uh, the very first Indy 500 was ran in the year 1909, and the 100th running is in less than a week. Oh, yeah, that's that's sure you're all going to appreciate that very much. That's terrific, Tiny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. Cool. Um, <laughs> that was not convincing at all. No, it's uh, it, it's it's. I'm actually looking forward to this. Uh, and Tiny, you'll be excited for me to see this. Uh, the Normal Heart. Nice. Yeah. Oh, it's a great movie. Oh yeah. Really good. Cool. So I believe it was on my top ten list that year. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it definitely was. So yeah. So I'll report back next week with that. Nice. Once again, check out my solo side project podcast, Anthology. It's a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. Next week, I'm going to have an episode that reviews uh, season one, episode 15 of The Twilight Zone. I shot an arrow into the air. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also a, a bonus review of Planet of the Apes. Nice. Which was co-written by Rod Serling. So, awesome. Yeah. I don't think I knew um, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. And uh, they share some some plot similarities, so nice. Because uh, I shot an arrow into into the air is about a group of astronauts that crash land on an asteroid. Nice. So, anyway, um, so check that out at anthologypod.com. And any closing thoughts, Tiny? Uh, I don't believe so. Nice. All right. Uh, well, congratulations again on the engagement. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, thank you for listening, guys. Thanks. Hey guys, in lieu of a one of our outtakes for this uh, stinger for this episode, um, I'm recording this as I edit it because I want to add something that was announced today that's pertinent to the conversation in the podcast, and that is that The Americans was renewed for a fifth and sixth final season. Uh, fifth season is going to be 13 episodes, sixth season is going to be 10 episodes, and then the show is going to end in 2018. And the other reason that I wanted to mention, uh, or I wanted to re-record something or record something for the end here, is that uh, Indie Popcon's coming up. I keep forgetting to bring it up on the podcast, but it's coming. It's June 17th to the 19th, and if you're going to be there, come see us. Our booth number is 448, and we'll also be on the podcaster stage on Saturday at uh, 3 p.m. And actually, like an hour uh, before I recorded this, uh, PopCon announced that Kevin Smith's going to be there um, Saturday night after PopCon. There's going to be a screening of Yoga Hosers, a Q&A, and a live taping of Fat Man on Batman. So that's pretty spectacular, and that's happening Saturday. I guess the tickets for it are going on sale this Friday, so the so tomorrow if you're listening to this the day that I release it. So anyway, uh, PopCon, June 17th. To the 19th, our booth number is 448. Come see us, and come see us on stage, on the podcaster stage, on Saturday um, at 3 p.m. Thanks for listening, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. 
Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at Matt, Tiny, or Mike at ObsessiveViewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at ObsessiveViewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at ObsessiveViewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, ObsessiveBookNerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.